That's what Paul did. He went to this church in Corinth or in the city of Corinth. And he began to proclaim the gospel there. And the Holy Spirit took the words and began to save people. And these were wicked people. You know, the, the Lord can save the most wicked one in our city. You read in the sixth chapter and you realize there were, there were very immoral people, sexually immoral people. There were people from all walks of life, you know, from the, from the high and mighty uh, to, to the lowest of the low, if we could say it that way. In the first chapter, he said, not many mighty. He didn't say not any mighty, but not many mighty, not many influential. But there were some in that mix. And, and the Lord did a great work there. And so Paul writes this church and... And, and he writes because he left and, and he had gotten a report back that there was some serious issues in the church. So the question is, how's Paul going to deal with the issues in the church? How's Paul going to deal with the behavioral issues, the division issues, people splitting over, you know, groups? I've noticed this, that ministers are not, not jealous of each other. It's church people that create all that. Ministers, 99% of the ministers I've ever met are like, when they see someone with a great gift, they're just, man, I'm so grateful for your preaching gift, or I'm so grateful for the way God's using you. It's church people, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, immature church people. Well, I'm of this group, and they, you know, they, but preachers don't do all that, most generally. It's church, immature people that do that. And that's what's happening in the Corinthian church. Once I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus, you know, I'm of the Jesus group. And so Paul was having to, to deal with all this. It was lawsuits in the church. And so how's Paul going to deal with that? Well, I can tell you this. Paul was going to deal it by bringing the Word of God. Do you know that the Word of God will bring health to the church? Anytime the Word of God is lifted up and, and there's discipleship going on and the ministers are pointing people to the Scriptures and saying, this is what the Lord wants for us, this is God's plan for us, in time, if the church gets a good, steady diet of the good doctrines of the Word of God, it'll produce health. You know, start feeding your kids candy bars for about two weeks. It's, it going, the health is going to go down, right? But you start feeding them meat and taters, their health is going to come back. You feed them the right things. And the same thing in the church. If we feed on the good word of God, it's going to build health. It's going to build strong, healthy disciples. And so that's what Paul did. He's bringing the word of God to them. And <clears throat> so just mentioning that, we come now toward the end of this book and Paul mentions this. He reads, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, chapter 16, that is, verse 1. He said, now concerning the collection of the saints. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Now notice this. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside Storing up as he may prosper. Storing up as he may prosper. That there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear, to, uh, will send, uh, to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So let's talk about this for a few minutes. Let's talk about guidelines Forgiving. Now, what's, what's happening here is that we know that Paul had several missionary journeys. And on his third missionary journey, not only was Paul preaching to the Gentiles, and I was actually reading through Acts today. And it just is so amazing to see how God used the Apostle Paul, how that he went to Jerusalem, 
and how that he was arrested there, went trial, he goes to Caesarea, he goes to Rome, and in different times in his ministry, he's rehearsing his testimony of how he got saved. He did it several times in the book of Acts. And when I was just reading that in a marvelous supernatural way that God saved Paul, and Paul said that Jesus appeared to him. Now, I know when I got saved, Jesus didn't appear to me. But I know I received Jesus. I know the Holy Spirit came in and converted me, and I was born again. But I didn't have the dramatic conversion that Paul had. Paul had Jesus show up, and he told him, this is what you're going to do, Paul. You're going to be a preacher to the Gentile. You're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so after some time, Paul begins to preach, and he goes all over the world of that day, and he's proclaiming the gospel. Churches are being birthed. Lives are being changed. Ministers are being raised up. It's an amazing, amazing thing. But as he's going on these missionary journeys, the third missionary journey, one of the things he did as he's going to these churches, and sometimes he's going to back to churches he's been back to before because he wants to encourage those churches. He wants to see how things are going. And when he's on this third missionary journey, one of the things he does is he receives a relief offering. He receives a special offering because he said, listen, are the mother church, and I'm saying it that way. He didn't say it that way, but the mother church. The mother church in Jerusalem is suffering. They need our help. And so I'm receiving this offering, and I want you to participate in the offering because we're going to send it. We're going to help those who originally brought the gospel to us. And that's what Paul's doing right here. He said, I'm, I'm, I want to talk about this offering that, that we're going to give. Now, why would Paul be wanting to send an offering? Why would Paul want to share an offering with the Jerusalem churches? I, I would propose three things. Number one is the Gentiles owed the Jews a debt of gratitude. Why is that? That's because of spiritually how God has used the Jewish people to bring the gospel to the world, to bring the promises to the world, to bring the covenants to the world, and the greatest thing that God used them to bring to the world is none other than what? Than our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So the Lord has brought, has, has rather used the, the Jewish people in, in a wonderful way. And we should love the Jewish people. It doesn't mean all the Jews are saved. But there's an ethnicity that God chose to use. And it's the Jewish people. And I'm grateful. I feel, when I think about the Jewish people, I get a real warm feeling. I get a loving feeling because I know the Savior came as a Jew, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So one of the reasons he wanted to send this offering was that he wanted the Gentiles to know that they owed, if I could say it this way, they owed the Jewish people material blessings because they had received from the Jewish people spiritual blessings. Now, you do know that spiritual blessings are more valuable than material blessings. Okay, that's what the Word of God teaches. And I'll just read a couple of places. Romans chapter 15 and verse 25 reads like this. Paul writing, and he says, But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution, an offering. For the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed 
Notice this. And they are their debtors. Everybody say debtors. They are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is to minister to them in material things. The spiritual things are the more valuable things. Now, I draw my income from the offerings of this church, but I can tell you what I'm giving you right now is more valuable than what you give me. Though I'm very grateful for the way you support my family, and I truly am humbled by that. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 11, Paul says this, or, first, or in, uh, I'm sorry, 9, 11, 1 Corinthians 9, 11, this same kind of theme that spiritual blessings are more valuable than material blessings. He said this, Paul said, if we have sowed spiritual things to you, is it a great thing that we reap your material things? You see the flow there? Do you see the, concept, the, the spiritual understanding there? So the first thing, the first real motive and purpose of the offering for the poor Jews in Jerusalem in the mother church was that the, because of what the Gentiles spiritually had received from the Jewish people and the Jewish nation, they needed to return thanksgiving with a material gift to them. Secondly, I would say this, that the Apostle Paul had a conference. There was a conference in Jerusalem. There was some, some issues about Paul going to the Gentiles and they had a conference. And then as, they, as all the leaders got together and discussed this, the Apostle Paul agreed that he would support the poor. And we find this in the book of Galatians 2 verse 10. Paul mentions this, and this is part of that council. He said this, for, for do I now persuade men... I'm sorry, verse Galatians 2 and 10. That's right. It says, They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. And at that council, Paul agreed, and he was a man of his word, that he would help the poor. And so when Paul went out and preached the gospel, he not only was preaching the words of the gospel and the truths of the gospel, he was also ministering to the sick he was also helping the poor and the needy. And, and Paul said, everyone should work. And he told the, the Ephesus church, he said, I've worked with these hands. And he said, everyone should work so they, they not only have their own needs provided, but we could help others a, as well. So what, what, why, now let's answer this question. Why was there such a great need in Jerusalem at this time? And there's a couple reasons for that. One, one reason is at Pentecost, when the when, when this multitude came to the feast at Pentecost and the Spirit of God comes on Peter and he preaches. Do you remember how many get saved? How many got saved at Pentecost? 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. And this was such a great move of God. All these new believers, do you realize that many of those believers did not leave Jerusalem? They were so overwhelmed with what God did. So guess what? The church is strapped with taking care of of all these believers. Here's all this. It's like, it's like your family comes at Christmas and they don't go home, you know? And you go, hey, man, uh, you know, you're eating a lot here, but you don't have a job. It's kind of your kind of... And that's what's happening in a sense. All these people are there and the Lord's moving. And, and there's this, I could say this with this glut of people. What's the church going to do? Well, we, we read that the first century church was such a generous church. We get kind of a snapshot and it says, 
after this great move of God in chapter, chapter 2, verse 41, it reads like this. Those who gladly received the word were baptized. About that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Now notice this. Now all who believed were together in all things common. Notice what they did. They sold their possessions and good and divided them among them all as anyone had need. When this move of God took place, this, listen, this wasn't communism. This wasn't socialism. This wasn't, let's everyone, let's everyone come to church. Let's take all of our money and put it in one pot and we'll just divvy it out as we will. That's not what this is. This is a very special move of God in a very unique time. And when that happened in that moment, there was just an overwhelming sense of generosity among the people. And as God spoke to certain ones, it wasn't someone like pushing them to do it or manipulating them to do it. But what it was, was the spirit of God was so welling up in people, they would just feel that God spoke to them. Well, I'm going to sell this piece of land. There's such a need here. But you know, that runs out after a time. And so you see, there's a, there's a need there. And then there's another thing that happened in Jerusalem. And that was there was a famine throughout the Roman Empire. Remember Agabus chapter 11, Acts, Acts 11, verse 27. We read this. And in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of their name was Agabus. He stood up and he showed the, by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. Which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, and, and each according to his ability, determined to send, notice, send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Okay, I'll end that there. So I'm just trying to set this up for you to allow you to see that there's, there's some reasons here that Paul wanted to receive this offering and take it to Jerusalem. One, because of the debt of what the Jews spiritually had done. Also, because there was a need. There was a lot of people that stayed there. They didn't have jobs. They were visiting there. They were, the revival probably was continuing on for some time. And then there was a famine that came, and there was need there. But I think one of the, one of the major reasons that Paul wanted to have the Gentile churches send a special love offering to the Jerusalem church is that he desperately wanted to unite the Jews and Gentiles together. And there was this division. I mean, you read the t as you read through the book of Acts, there's always this tension. The, the traditional Jews that got saved were trying to impose on the Gentiles. They've got to keep certain of the laws or they can't be saved. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do it this way, etc. And then they had a conference in, you know, Acts 15, and they said, well, no, you don't have to do all those things, but there are certain things you need to do as you follow the Lord. There was this tension. I think in Paul's heart, he knew that there was one church in Jesus Christ. How I many know oh, there's just one church in the world today? There's one church. There's only one church. There's one church in heaven and one church on earth. You know, some of our families in heaven, some are on earth. We're not yet to heaven yet. So, but the family's one family, and there's one family, and there it's everyone who is born again. Everyone who has been converted and truly knows Jesus Christ. We've all been made to drink of one spirit. We've been baptized in one spirit, Corinthians says. There's one family. And I think what Paul is feeling is he's saying in his heart, he's saying, you know what? This is going to build bridges with our Jewish brothers. This is going to break down walls. 
And I think that was, that's part of the, of the mix here. So we know this is a missionary offering, but there are some principles and guidelines in giving here. And I'll just give them to you quickly, five of them. Number one, what we read here is that our worship should include giving. I'll show you that. How many know that our worship is an act, or our giving, rather, is an act of worship? Now, we need to see it this way. Notice this. He says, on the first day of the week. Now, why would he say on the first day of the week? Is there anything in the New Testament that is unique about the first day of the week? It's the day of worship. For 2,000 years, it has been the day of worship. Until Jesus comes, it will be the day of Christian worship. So Paul says this. Okay, you guys, Corinthians, on the first day of the week. So what's he talking about? He's talking about coming to the place of worship. And he's saying this, as you come to the place of worship, is more than just hearing the word of God, though that's great. Your worship includes more than just singing. That's great. It includes more than just the fellowship meal, more than just communion. Those are great things and wonderful things. But church, I want you to know this, that if we're truly going to worship God, giving is also part of our worship. So on the first day of the week, he says, when you come as the believers come, be prepared to bring an offering to the Lord as an expression of your worship now why the first day of the week and you know two reasons number one it is the day that jesus rose so so you say we're celebrating easter in april whatever it is this year no 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 we celebrate the resurrection every sunday every sunday resurrection sunday that's what we do every single sunday so you don't do it once a year, you do it 52 weeks a year, 52 Sundays a year. You are celebrating the awesome, incredible resurrection of Jesus Christ. Also, the Holy Spirit was poured out and birthed the church. So here's something that's very sad. It's very sad when, when Christians don't have their mind renewed to see this aspect of our worship. We come and we worship and we feel spiritual and we feel the emotions of the music and we feel the touch of the Holy Spirit and, and it's, 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 it's moving in our hearts and, that, and it should be. Or we open the word of God and we, we hear the eternal word of God and it, and it touches us and it feeds us and it strengthens us. And then we come to receive the offering and we're all like, oh, okay, it's time to give. And it's like we go from spiritual to this kind of this carnal mindset. You realize when we take our money, when we take our money, which is not ours anyway, it's God's. It's all God's. God has an amazing plan of economy, I can tell you. When we take our money, it's, it's an aspect of worship. And we ought to see it as, as, as a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord, as a, as a sacrifice of giving unto him. Therefore, you will always, or often rather, you'll hear me say, let's worship God in our giving. I hope that gets in our spirit as a church. I hope that becomes such a part of our culture that now we're going to worship God with our giving. On the first day of the week, Paul said this, 
when he was receiving an offering from the Philippians. Notice how his mindset was about the gift. He didn't say, hey, got the cash you sent me. No, it was something very beautiful to him. Notice in 418 of Philippians. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, the things uh, sent from you. Notice a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. See how Paul saw saw that they're giving? Paul was in prison, and the Philippians sent the gift by Epaphroditus. Paul said it was like an offering to God. So think about this. One of the guidelines is our giving should be an act of worship because of Jesus Christ. Number two, giving should be systematic. Notice this, the phrase, lay aside something. Take it and lay it aside, he says. Now, I've heard some say that, that in that culture of that day, that it was on the first day of the week that they received their pay. And I don't know about that. But whenever the believers received their pay of whatever work they were doing, Paul said, I want you to take a portion of that and I want you to set it aside. And then he said, and then I want you on the day of worship, I want you to bring it on the first day and I want you to give it. And one of the things that Paul mentions here is he says, I don't want to take a bunch of offerings when I get there. I don't want to get there and take my time to have to go through all these, to get the, the finance to bless the Jerusalem church. He said, I already want all of that to be done. So for that to all be done, they have to systematically plan this. Their giving needs to be systematic. That's very important. And to do that, we've got to plan. We have to plan. We have to, we, we, we don't want to come to church on Sunday and go, oh yeah, I need to give. No, we need to be thinking about giving on Monday before the next Sunday. There needs to be some systematizing to it. And I think, I think this, that if we would systematize our giving to the Lord like we do all of our other secular stuff, the Lord's work would be much more supplied. I mean, if you have a credit card payment, you don't go, well, you know, I'm going to wait. I may pay it. I may not pay it. I'm going to just wait till I feel emotionally moved to do it. Wait till I hear a good emotional missionary story before I pay my credit card. Pay your credit card that way? Pay your, what about your house payment? Car payment? What's your kid's school bill? Light bill? Water bill? We don't do anything like that. But you know what we do? We do God that way. You hear what I'm saying? We do God that way. Now, I know you folks probably don't need this tonight, but maybe it will be recorded for posterity somewhere so someone that needs it can hear it. But the truth is, if we were systematic like we were in every other part of our finances, God's work would not suffer like it does in many, many places. So here's what I would say to you. As the followers of Jesus, we should not have to be hyped up to some feverish emotion till we yield our will to give. We should have a desire to give to God because of what Jesus has done. It's an act of worship. It also needs to be systematic. Set aside something. That's pre-planning. 
He's telling them, set aside something. You're working on Monday? Paul said, I'm going to be there next Sunday. Set it aside on Monday. Put it aside from the rest of your money. Let it be for the Lord. Set it aside. Get ready. Let it be systematic. Now, in our church, you, we, have, we have online giving, which is just another way. You can give, you know, you can give in the sanctuary, but you can also give online. Do you realize... <coughs> You can have reoccurring giving and just have that into your checking account. My wife and I pretty much exclusively give online. You can give to missions online. You can give to building fund online. If you want to give a special offering to benevolence, you can do that. You can set up your tithe. Where, where, that, where that, if you're on vacation, you can still be a part of the giving of worship. If, if you can't make it one Sunday, you're, you're still giving systematically to God's work. Thank God for it. The third guiding principle is this. Our giving needs to be personal, and it needs to be individual. Notice what he says in the text. Let each one of you, let that settle in, let each one of you. Here's what Paul expected. Paul expected each believer to share in the offering. Whether they were rich or whether they were poor, everyone was supposed to give. Anyone who had an income had the privilege of giving. My daughter has a little job, and what I said to her tonight in this service, before this service, I said, how much did you make? And she told me, and I said, this much belongs to God. Get an envelope, put the money in there, fill it out. Now, she was going to do it anyway. We can teach our kids to give. She's going to give the tithe to the Lord. This is her first job. This is her first paycheck. And you know what, Peyton? I want to prophesy to you. That if you will put God first, this is your very first paycheck, if you will put God first and continue to do so, you will be so blessed financially through your life, you will never have, lack for anything in the name of Jesus. I prophesy to you tonight, in the name of Jesus, put him first. So we have, we, uh, God expects each one of us to give. He wants all of us to share in the blessing of giving. You get it? The blessing of giving. Acts 20, 35, I have shown you in every way I've labored like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, notice, say it with me, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that was weak, so we're going to say it again. Say it with me again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So this giving is an act of worship. This giving needs to be systematized. It needs to be systematic, but also it needs to be personal. It needs to be individual. Why? Because you were saved as an individual. You've been blessed as an individual. Your name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life as an individual. And, you need, and God expects us to give as individuals what he has brought into our lives. Number four, almost done. Our giving needs to be proportionate. Notice this, as God has prospered him. Notice that, as God has prospered him. Believers who have more, are, of course, are going to give more. Because if you make a million dollars, your tithe is more, your 10% is more than someone who makes $100,000. That's just, it's the most fair system that there ever has been. You know, and it's simple. If, if, if. If I have a dollar and there's 10 dimes laid out there, how many does God get? He gets a dime. If I have, if I owe the Lord tithe and I have 10 $1 bills, how much does the Lord get? It's the most, it's the most fair system there is. But see, those who make more are expected to give more. 
So it's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. Did you hear that? Now, listen to what Paul said to the wealthy people. Because there were wealthy people in the, in the New Testament church. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Now, uh, I saw uh, recently, I read maybe this week, the gentleman who owns Amazon bought the most expensive house, I guess, in the history of our nation. Spent millions and millions and millions of dollars. Well, I've certainly not, you know, I don't begrudge people having stuff. God bless them. But how big of a house do you need? I think it's him and his girlfriend, the way I read it. You know, it's him. He got a divorce from his wife, so it's just him and his girlfriend. They have this like $167 million house. You know, if they would take that and put that in God's work, and I know a lot of these people give to hospitals, and I commend them for that. I'm not certainly throwing darts at, at anyone. But I'm just saying that if someone is blessed, they need to, there comes a point when you ought to say, okay, I don't need anything else. Let's give charitably. Let's give to the work of God. Let's give to missions. Let's give to the poor. Let's, let's, let's create things for water in Africa. A lot of those people don't have clean water. Now, the Jewish believers in the church would have been very accustomed to the tithe. But Paul doesn't mention the tithe here. He, talks, he doesn't like talk about a specific portion. But, but the tithe would have been very common and very well understood by the Jewish believers. Just so, it was so ingrained in the law, it, it didn't really have to be mentioned in some ways. But, you know, the tithe, that 10%, is a great place to start. Did you capture that? A great place to start. It's not where you end. Because, you know why? We have a better covenant. I mean, certainly, only... Let me meddle... Certainly, only American Christians would argue against the tithe. Certainly, only American Christians, the most rich nation in the history of the world. What, are we going to argue for, like 2%? Oh, yeah, let's, let's give 2%. No. We ought to give as the Lord blesses us. And t- the tithe is a great place to start. So as the, as, as the Lord gives us more, we need to be able to give more. That's, that's an important part of that. And the problem with a lot of believers is the Lord blesses them and gives them new jobs and gives them raises. And instead of saving more or investing more, they just get a bigger house and more stuff and, you know, whatever. And so just be wise in this. So think about this. Think about tonight, these guidelines in our giving. First of all, giving is what? It's an act of our worship. It's not just, you know, hey, I'm just throwing some money at the church. No, we're giving to the Lord. We're worshiping the risen Lord. Secondly, it needs to be systematic. We need to set it aside. We need to plan. We need to get ready. Thirdly, it needs to be individual. We've been saved individually. God's blessed us individually. We need to give personally and individually. And then it needs to be proportionately to our, to our income, of course. And then lastly... Money needs to be handled honestly. Look at verse 3 and 4. Paul talks, now this may be strange to you, but let me explain it. And, and when I come, whomever you approve, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it's fitting, but if it's fitting 
that I go also, they will go, uh, they will go with me. So here's kind of what the church did. Or here is what the church did. What the church did is Paul said, basically, let's have these delegates. It's the finance committee. Let's call it that. These delegates and all this money that we receive so that, so that no one will ever accuse us of mishandling this. Paul said, I want delegates from all the people, all the churches that gave. Why don't you, why don't you select an honest person and from all these churches and we'll go as a delegation and everything is honest Everything's above board, and, and then uh, it's done right. And, 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 uh, and the gospel is not besmirched in some way because someone, you know, mishandled some, some kind of thing. So business stuff is important in the church. We've got to keep things right. So basically, Paul was very careful not to allow anything to give the enemy a chance to to damage the church or damage the, the credibility of the gospel. And that's why they, they needed those representatives, and that's why Paul, Paul wanted that. Uh, I'll close with this. Um, I like what Paul does here. Paul, you know, nothing wrong with you giving to some individual, but I think what Paul's saying here and inferring here, it, giving is better given to the church. You know, you give it to some of these places, you don't know where it's going, you don't know who it's going to, you know, really. And, and some, some things you just don't need to give to. My, my, my money's in the church. I can tell you, I want to give to the church. I don't give to a lot of these auxiliary ministries. I just don't. I don't give to TV ministries. Uh, I can't say I've never. Uh, I don't remember. But I'll give to missionaries through the church. I'll give to the orphan's home through the church. The church. I think that's, that's the best thing. Church-centered, church-centered giving. And so... Let's stand. I'll close with this thought here. No, notice this. Notice that, now we know that there's no chapter breaks in the scriptures. It was just like a scroll that was written out. So chapter 15 is the resurrection chapter. Jesus is raised and then it says, you know, it says, you know, this is the victory and, and your labor's not in vain in the Lord. And it's just, he's just praising God in these last few verses. And then the next verse the very next verse, if you look at it, the very next verse is about giving. The last verse of 15 says, Therefore, be, brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In the next verse, now concerning the collection. Almost like he's a whole other deal, but it isn't. Why? Because when we... When we give to God's work, it's not in vain. We're giving it because Jesus is alive. His work is important. And we give because every dime that we've ever given in sincerity to the work of God, it'll meet us in heaven. We're laying up treasures in heaven. How much money do we waste? I, I know that I've wasted money and, and think, oh, man, I wish, wish I wouldn't have done that or this. You know, and I think we all probably have those kind of regrets at some level. But I can tell you this, I've never regretted giving to God's work, never regretted tithing, never regretted giving offerings, whether to building fund or missionaries or to help whatever. Never, because you know what? We're, we're putting, we're giving to something that's lasting. No one in this room in their right mind would say, if I said to you, hey, here's a stock 
and, and I know it's going to tank, and, it, and it's, it's, it's selling for about you know, $200 a share now, but go ahead and buy about like 10,000 shares, and, and it's going to go to $3 and going to tank, and, and you're never going to get your money back. And nobody would go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that stock because it's a losing proposition. But do you realize when you invest in the kingdom of God, it, you're never going to lose. You're never going to lose. And, and the Lord blesses giving. He does. He blesses. He blesses givers. I heard of a story one time. I'll close with this. A story one time. This is a church in, in Georgia. And they were, this is years ago. This is like in the 60s. And, and what, what happened is that they were wanting to buy a piece of property. And they were, they were having to, to raise money. And, and so they, didn't, they had a deadline and they pastor didn't know what they were going to do. And so they had a day that people were going to give. And so this, this couple came and walked up to the pastor and they had a ring. And, and the pastor looked at it and the little, the little young couple... And the pastor said, what's, what's that? I mean, he knew what it was, but what, he didn't understand what was going on. And they said, we know, that, we know that the church is wanting to buy this land, and we believe that there's going to be advancement in the kingdom of God, and we believe that souls are going to be saved. And we, we wanted to participate in this offering, but someone broke in our house and stole everything we own, everything, our clothes, our furniture, everything this is all we have and it was their wedding rings and this was like a young couple that probably hadn't been married hardly any time and the pastor said i cannot take that i will not take that and the young couple said please the lord has told us to give this and the pastor was like i can't i, I don't want to take that they were so insistent that they said, no, the Lord has told us to give this. This was the last thing they, they had material. And the pastor begrudgingly agreed. He put it in his pocket. And as, as he went to the service, he had kind of forgot about it for just a moment. And then he, he reached in his pocket and he, and he felt it. And he took it out. And he told the congregation that story of this young couple. And he said when he told that story and held up that little ring, the pastor said there was such a spirit of brokenness that went over that congregation of what that young couple had done. People started bringing money. People started giving boats. Somebody gave a house to the church, which they had to sell and liquidate, you know. And, but people, a spirit of giving just broke out. Literally, the pastor said, people gave houses. People had motorhomes they gave. People started giving because a couple obeyed the Lord. And can I tell you this? In the eyes of God, listen to me. In the eyes of God, that couple gave more than everyone in that church. Do you realize that? The couple gave more than everyone. The couple gave more than the house, more than the motorhome. That couple gave more than anyone just by giving probably a cheap ring. Why? Because it's, it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. And they gave everything they owned to Jesus. And he blessed it. You never go wrong by giving to the Lord's work. And, and, and this work here, our work that we're trying to do here, I don't know 
I doubt very seriously we'll see the full potential in my lifetime. Maybe my role here is to make sure this church has a great future. Maybe that's all my role is here. Maybe I'll never see the full thing that God wants to do. But I can envision in my heart 30, 40 years from now a great revival taking place. A church with a couple thousand people sitting on this hill. So giving to this work is going to outlast our day. Amen. Father, how grateful we are today for your good mercy. Thank you for these principles tonight. Lord, I thank you. Just let them work them into our hearts, Lord. Help us to be faithful in our giving. Lord, we know this is a really strategic time right now. And I pray that all of us would continue to tithe, but also to give offerings. Lord, in, in building and in missions on my heart. We don't want to forget missions either. But we also need to give to building. And Lord, we need to tithe. That's the first thing we do. So Father, we ask that you would just bless our church with continued growth. We're so grateful for the new faces and new families that you are bringing to us that we just want them to, to feel a part of your work. I ask you to bless your people tonight with special mercy, special grace. Bring us Sunday for a great day of your celebration. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.